Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, listeners. Tonight, we're again going to visit that alleyway in Surrey, B.C. But this time, we're not going into the story alone. See, something unusual happened. In a rare case of a podcast eclipse, Tanner Krupa's story was covered on two Canadian podcasts at almost the same time. Just as I was preparing the nighttime episode about Tanner Krupa, my friends over on the True North True Crime podcast announced Tanner's story would be featured in their next episode. In general, podcasters try and avoid covering the same cases on similarly themed shows. But True North, True Crime and I saw this not as a scheduling hiccup, but as an opportunity. Seeing as our shows tackle topics in very different ways, we thought our episodes would only complement each other and as a result give Tanner, his case, and hopefully those responsible for his murder, a wave of podcast-related exposure. And I think it worked. Now, to add a capstone to our coverage on the case, the hosts of True North, True Crime and I did what people do nowadays, and we jumped on Zoom and discussed Tanner Krupa's death and unpacked some recent developments. And that's what we're going to get into tonight. In this episode of Nighttime, we'll be joined by the hosts of True North, True Crime for a discussion surrounding the unsolved murder of Tanner Krupa. True North, True Crime, live on YouTube. Is it, I think you said before we started, this is your first live appearance. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very true. We are both kind of nervous to be live, but we're very excited. Yeah, yeah, well, it's our first <laughs> first time doing a live YouTube. Well, um, it's also maybe our first, my first time having like a true Canadian true crime podcast eclipse. We both, without any planning, I, I was, I had a story, uh, the interview with Kim lined up, Tanner Krupa's mom. I was just about to do the interview and then I saw you post on Instagram, like our next episode will be the story of Tanner Krupa. I was like, a part of me is like, oh no. But then at the same time, I'm like, this is a good opportunity to like blow this up. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. We we actually had, it was a, a friend of the family was a listener of our podcast and reached out to us and said like, there's a new awareness campaign. Can you, do you think you might be able to help? And then we watched the awareness video, what happened to Tanner. And then that night it was on global news here. And I okay. we realized there was a major media blitz and I'm like, we need to cover this case. Weird. I yeah. wonder if it's the same person because I had I had not heard of Tanner's case. Mm-hmm. I got a, a message. Um, mine was through Twitter. Someone recommending I cover the story. They gave me the link to Tanner's um, the video that yeah. that you described there, and so very similar experience. But I'm guessing it kind of shows the power of when when there's a story that wants exposure, hopefully mm-hmm. you know to get tips or or whatnot. The power of reaching out to like media and even podcasts, yeah. like because it's between the two of us. I'm sure that well, between the three of us, our two shows. I'm sure you know a ton of people who hadn't heard Tanner's story, not only heard the story but got like you know a 50 minute deep dive into it. And exactly, yeah. And what was interesting, like we. 
although we both tackled the same story, I just finished listening to your, to your episode and you both took a, a different approach. Mine was, um, I did an interview with Tanner's mom, Kim. So it was more about, you know, the story from her point of view, as well as her experiences of, you know, losing a son so tragically, yeah. you, you took a different approach where you really got into like the investigation. Like how long have mm-hmm. you been working on this case? Um, uh, we started working on it probably about, uh, two weeks ago. Um, but things moved very, very quickly. And, and generally with our podcast, um, although we do interviews, cause we do a lot of missings and unsolves, um, we, uh, we also, um, when we cover, uh, victims of violent crime that has, has gone to court, uh, we usually pick cases where we're not happy with the outcome at trial or, or the appeals process, um, that kind of thing. So, um, a lot of our podcasts, our episodes do have the personal touch of the family, but we also do deep dive into like voir dire and the, you know, the agreed upon statements of fact at court and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Cause we want to try and be as factual as possible too. We're very familiar with finding court documents. Yeah. It's exhausting. <laughs> it absolutely is exhausting. I think um, earlier on, like when I started my show, I did a lot more of that side of things, like researching, going through the history. I was forever at, uh, we called it the, in Halifax anyway, it's called the public archives, which is mm-hmm. where I can access all the old newspapers and stuff. Um, but my issue when I was doing that was I was finding like, I was really happy with the episodes, but I found the I couldn't release stuff consistently yep. enough and I was just drowning in, in the facts, but yep. you, you're like a, you're both spring chickens. How long have you been making <laughs> true North true? You'll get to yeah. be old and jaded like me eventually, but how long have you been doing true North true crime? Uh, we started in June of last year. So it's, we're actually at our one year anniversary. Well, um, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's been amazing. I mean, everybody started a podcast during COVID, but um... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I've heard that the number one sponsor of podcasts <laughs> in Canada is the CERB benefit thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you. CERB <laughs> for the <laughs> microphones and yeah, uh, yeah. another serb podcast yeah Yeah, there's there's a lot but that said listening to your show you're both passionate so i i think uh, the pandemic was just maybe the push you needed to start or gave you the opportunity to start and uh, you've been doing it a year i've i don't know the exact numbers but it's something like you know like five percent of podcast people who actually Mm -hmm. start podcasts make it past you know three months or something like that we didn't know how crazy the numbers were on podcasts it's something like one percent of podcasts end up with you know a hundred thousand downloads it's or even less than that so a lot of people just start a podcast get in over their head don't realize how incredibly difficult it is to continue doing it and just say screw this and then leave with one episode yeah. and oh, yeah. I, i've actually researched it and the amount that have just one episode is shocking mm-hmm. all right well, well what i find is the amount that don't even have one what i see is like because when someone follows you on twitter or something mm-hmm. um i find so many times i get followed by you know it'll be uh webcam pod at webcam pod and yeah. i'll like click on the profile and it'll be like an upcoming podcast about webcams yeah. you know then their next post is <laughs> yeah. like we're on patreon now And then they just like, then they're just dead and extinct and they never release an episode. I would like to know what percent of like podcast related social media accounts go on to release an episode. Oh yeah. I know it's, it's crazy. I mean, it hasn't been easy. I mean, I think we both knew the amount of dedication and time it would take, Mm -hmm. 
but I think even then we underestimated it because mm-hmm. um, we both, I mean, I, I still have a full-time job um, in the film industry and you're still part-time, but this is, you know, 55 hours a week. This is yeah. another full-time job entirely. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's a lot, but it's amazing and it's super rewarding. And we've, we're so thankful that so many families have reached out to us and talked to us. Um, it's been incredibly rewarding. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think the amount of work and the limited amount of like financial rewards you get for doing it, I think that's oh, yeah. the, that's the gatekeeper to keep yeah. it like to keep indie podcasting like mine and your, your show to keep mm-hmm. that genuine and sincere. Like if someone, it's different if you're hired by some, you know, to read, write scripts or read scripts or whatever for some company that's, you know, of making podcasts. But when you're just like starting one on a laptop in your bedroom, if you were actually doing it for money, you would quit really early on yes. and get a job at a, you know, just some place hiring in town and make a lot yeah, well, more with better hours. I'm, I'm lucky because I, my, my, uh, I, I have experience in social work, but I also worked as an actor and comedian for 20 years. So <laughs> I'm, I'm used to like it being hard, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. had, you know, and, and, and low financial reward and then spikes of success and then no success. So mm-hmm. I, it's almost like I, I, uh, you know, have a sadistic quality when it comes to uh, creative endeavors. It's yeah, like, well, I if this doesn't that. make me any money, then I'm doing it right. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> with, with your podcast, True North, True Crime, you really go f- far into the advocacy side of things like even when you because I was watching when you were releasing the promotion for your episode about Tanner is you your posts you were straight up calling out the people involved like you know we're going you weren't saying this but you were only a step away from like we are going to find you and you're going to go down for this so like your show you very much are you're, it seems to me anyway that you're prioritizing the advocacy side of things ahead of, you know, becoming celebrities. You do like, it, for example, we're not using your video right now. Yeah. Uh, people who are watching, maybe tell us why, why that is just. Um, I think for, for both of us, there's a lot of true crime cases where people focus on people that are, you know, privileged people. They tend to get a lot of, um, media right away and then the people like you know that we've covered who might have addiction issues or you know behavioral issues or anything like that we believe that they deserve as much media and as much attention no one deserves to get murdered go missing have anything like that happen to them regardless of their lifestyle um, anything that's happened to them, anything like that. So we think it's incredibly important to advocate for every single human mm-hmm. being who has had anything yeah. negative happen to them, regardless of their circumstance. Yeah, we're kind of looking at it because um, we had we had a big huddle before we started the podcast about our values and our ethics. Like, what do we really want to do? Because we could just go out there and be, you know, and, and spout off minor details about, uh, you know, broad strokes details about a horrific serial killer, mm. you know, and we'll probably, and if we named, if we named the episode William Picton, we'd probably get more downloads, but we'll never name an episode after a person who committed a cr- the crime because mm. they, they, they're researchable. And what we've also found is that they, 
because they are the person who lived, they tend to have their story told um, more than the victim story because the agreed upon statement of facts at trial tend to be that person's narrative being debunked by the crown, um, mm. but they still get their story out. Like uh, Natsumi Kogawa, William Schneider, her murderer gets to say, well, she tried to sleep with me but we don't know if that's true. In fact, we know that it's not true. Mm -hmm. um, so our thing is like, how do we voice, how do we bring a voice to victims? And also, and this is not a, a call out of any podcast at all, but how do we make ethical true crime, mm. you know, as a, as a genre of, you know, and I grew up, you know, loving all kinds of true crime and stuff, but now I have to, now that when you're writing the words down and you're doing the research, my question to us is what if the family hear this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I get that. And I think a part of the way or one way to really make that uh, apparent with what you're doing is to actually involve the family in what yeah. you're doing. And it, that's something that we have in common. Like when I was going to do Tanner's story, my first step was to try to contact friends, family, people close to him to see who was willing to talk. And uh, in my case, I connected with his mom, Kim, and it's immediately we hit it off like old friends. And I went yeah. into that being like, I want to help her share her story. Tanner seems like just like it, his story. One of the things that really resonated was it didn't seem like there was anything about him that would make him a higher risk or put him in a situation where you're like, yeah. Oh, that's, you know, that will, exactly. I you know. know, it just seemed like he was just a regular guy who, basically a bolt of lightning came down and struck him is, is mm -hmm. the way it seems. And, and when that's the story and you're connected with the family, even if it's just like a zoom call or whatever, it's very easy to, to feel it in your heart. I find I'm, yeah. I'm so, uh, I think empathetic is the word. And yeah. my, my heart breaks for her. And as a parent myself, hearing her describe losing her, her son, her only son like that, it's, um, it makes it very easy to be like, I'm going to do everything I can to help this person and yeah. these yeah. people. And uh, yeah. I, I can tell you, you feel the same. So when I listened to your episode, that was the vibe I, I got right off the bat. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I feel like I, I knew so many guys just like Tanner. Tanner yeah. is such a, he was, he seems like such a normal 19 year old in mm -hmm. Canada and just what happened to him is so unfathomable. It's, it's, awful and realistically too he was only 19 for six days like yeah, he oh, just yeah, turned 19 he was a kid like you yeah. know and when i was doing my episode i i even had to ask my wife i was like a 19 year old should i call him like a, a boy man. or a yeah. man like a 19 year old man he just turned yeah. 19 because when i think of myself as a 19 year old oh, i God. was a kid i was a kid yeah. but i guess mm -hmm. legally i'm a man yeah i know and i know yeah. And I was even thinking when I was talking to his mom, Kim, I was saying like, he must've been pretty brave to, you know, go to the next province to work. Like when I was a 19 year old, there was no way I was ready to like, you know, even to go away for two weeks alone to, yeah. to work. I didn't even have a job. <laughs> I was yeah, trying to I know. figure out how to get yeah. unemployment insurance. <laughs> I know. Same here. And he <laughs> was going to a different province to, you know, live with strange people and go do these like really, you know, difficult manual labor jobs. I mean, he, 
he was doing all the right things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he was enrolled, he was enrolled for school for September mm-hmm. to come back and be a fitness instructor. So even, you know, these, these directional drilling jobs were just, were just a way to make some, some money. And I, and from, if, if I've heard the information correctly, um, it was, uh, uh, Kim had hooked him up with his mom had hooked him up with this directional drilling job, I believe in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there's a photo on his Instagram of him to working a job up in Dawson Creek. So he'd already sort of like had, um, some experience, some experience doing it probably in the summers, you know, that kind of thing when they needed them. And, um, you know, it was just, a, it's a, if for Alberta kids, it's a real fast way to make money. You know, you go up to the oil patch, you bring back a, a fat stack of cash, and then you, you know, you, you go to school or do whatever you want to do. Right. Yeah. Well, here on the East coast of Canada, it's so common for people to go out there and work for, uh, you know, three weeks, you go up there, you come home for mm-hmm. a month, you go back for three weeks. So like my, even my dad, he, for the last few years has gone out West to work on these kind of, I just call them labor camps. I don't even yep. know what they do, but it, it's, <laughs> it seems like that's kind of what Tanner was doing. He was just going away for you know a couple of weeks, staying at a place that his employer or the company that he worked for had. And, yep. and when I, when I hear his story, so first of all, there's the connection with him and his mom that I felt that drew me in, but then there's also, I'm like such a sucker for mysteries in his case is an absolute mystery, which starts mm-hmm. right from the beginning. Why the hell? Like we're, it, it seems the story I got is that he left to go to the store to buy cigarettes or something in the mm-hmm. late yeah. evening, somehow, despite not knowing anyone else in this city, somehow in the early morning hours, he gets found dead after an altercation in an alleyway. What do you make of that? Yeah. Um, so, so some new, some new information has come to light, uh, last night. Um, and, um, what we've been able to do is we have sourced the GPS record on the truck on the, the, cause they, cause the roommate and, and Tanner were using the company truck and staying in a company rental house. Okay. So we now, we now have the GPS coordinates of the truck and not only that, but we have the, um, the, um, incoming and outgoing cell phone um, uh, calls uh, from the roommate's company phone. Okay. So we've been able to start to plot things out a little bit. So we do know that, so as the story goes, they were at Boston Pizza earlier that night. They came back to the rental house. Tanner goes out at 2.10 a.m. in around there to go get a pack of cigarettes. His body is found at 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Okay. I didn't realize it was that late that he, that he left. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I have text messages from his girlfriend at the time where he says, thinking about going out, she says, where he says the Chevron she's, and then she says, isn't it late? And he says 210 here because she's in Edmonton, Edmonton and she thinks at 310. Okay. Um, so, so give or take, so, so back at just backing up to the, the Boston pizza thing, we assumed that they were at a Boston pizza that was near his, his house, the rental house, but they weren't according to the GPS positioning on the work truck. They were actually at the elements casino. Um, and there is a Boston pizza about four large blocks up from there. Okay. So, but they were at the, they were actually at the casino part because the truck was registered as idled um, for an hour and 30 minutes. Then they, they were back at the rental house by 10.54 p.m. Then at 2.10 2 a.m., we have the text message saying, I'm going to the store. Um, so let's, let's bring him back from the walk to the store, which is only a 10-minute walk away. 
Um, he's back at the apartment. Because the, the gas station's closed. The he gas station's get, closed. He can't get a pack of cigarettes. It's closed at 1130. He didn't know that. He didn't realize. So he walked there anyway. Okay. So the, so the roommate then states that um, he woke up to the sound of Tanner coming home uh, and that he had gone to bed. Um, and then he had a brief discussion with Tanner to not go out with strangers. Uh, Tanner decided to go out with the strangers in the strange car. Uh, the roommate states uh, that uh, one guy was shorter than Tanner with kind of short, bald hair uh, and perhaps pointy ears. And then, um, yeah, and then, and then here's the thing is, um, so I hit release the video of the two cars, right? Mm -hmm. So the, by the map that I'm looking at, the two cars are not driving away from the scene of the crime. The two cars are driving towards the scene of the crime. Oh, so they are coming through the yeah, intersection. Yeah, we looked on Google Maps because we know that yeah. you said it was going away from it, and we had to look on. We had to, we were like, oh, does Jordan right? Yeah. Are we right? Who? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I think I got away from it. I th I thought it was a like um I don't know if it was the Crime Stoppers video, but mm -hmm. yes, yeah, somewhere I saw it referred to by the police as like. Two vehicles away. speeding away or leaving the scene or something like that. Yeah, we yeah. had to street view the corner where it was. And we looked at it and we're like, okay, well, there's the bus there's stop. There's the park and there's the bus and stop. And there's a sign that there's a light yeah. reflecting off of. And we had to do it that way. And they are actually going towards, towards it. The, the lane. Yeah, so, 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 and that's at 3.30. Okay, okay, so if we back up here, we've got, we've got Tanner leaves the house 2.10. Let's say he's Itch. back at the house 3-ish. Something happens um, between then and 3.30 when the cars race towards the laneway location. Then they, they, they're heading west. They turn right up 128th, and then they turn into the strip mall. There's an altercation, which I think the RCMP had a call on. We, I believe that that was Tanner being removed from the car. Yeah, we're not really sure if there was actually like an altercation at that scene or yeah. if the commotion was more so them you know, pan him. yeah, panicking, like get him out of the car and, 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 you know, and Tanner injured because there are 17 um, evidence markers that go towards where his body was covered in the mm -hmm. tarps of the crime scene. So I, uh, my belief is that there were two locations huh. for this crime or happen. whatever happened, happened in the vehicle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. it the, you're blowing my mind. Where did you get all this stuff? <laughs> so, oh man. <laughs> so without, don't get specifics, yeah. but yeah, so we have there's a, there's a little bit of an army that's organized around around Kim and and Randy and Mike and Brittany, which is Tanner's family, and there are people that you know they either get invested in in it or they, you know, for a period of time or whatever. So um, right now there's a few people that I've been aligned with who've been very invested in it, and they're giving me a lot of this okay. information, and I'm getting the actual I'm getting the actual receipts. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> So, you know, I'm like, yeah, sound like a teenager. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> we, have, right? we have the receipts. Yeah. So we're getting the actual receipts on this and, and there's even more that's coming to light. Um, wow. Yeah. And even just as we speak, there's, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be more information, I believe, like at some point this week into next week. I'm going to, I'm going to, this case, I'm going to call it a, this case, I think is going to be solved soon. It, it's it, when I look at the video of the car, the two cars, even going to or from that would it, with there being at least two cars i know there's already a couple people who mm -hmm. are involved and know what happened it's just yeah. a matter of one of them somebody making, yeah. someone saying the wrong thing to the wrong person or the relationships between those people mm -hmm. going sour and someone mm -hmm. you know being a tipster or something i, I think yeah. um 
it's, I'm shocked that this case hasn't been solved because it's not, it doesn't seem like whatever happened doesn't seem like this organized thing. It was, I'm I'm thinking it was either as far as how he got with this crew, God knows at this point, but I think it was either like a robbery gone wrong or maybe like a fight or something with people just a disagreement that went out of control. I think there was alcohol involved. Mm -hmm. I think there was young men who were under the influence of whatever they were doing that night and, you know, tempers or whatever happened. Well, you have, you have blue collar people making good money and, you know, I'm going to say like, you know, there, there were probably some lines being snorted and stuff like that. So there's a high level of aggression, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, That can occur. And then also that Newton Wally area of Surrey is is hardcore. Like I know there's nice people there. I know they have nice neighborhoods and a community feel, but Newton Wally um, is rougher, especially that Chevron at 64th and King George. And then on top of that, there has been an escalating gang uh, turf war there since the 90s. So even if you're not a, necessarily a gangster, you are kind of you think you think you are, you know, especially if you're a young, um, you know, guy who leans that way. Any sign of or any idea of how Tanner would have connected with these people. Cause it's like, it's, if he didn't know a lot of people there, all I could think of is maybe either ran into someone on the street or maybe if they're at the casino, kind of like at a bar, ran into somebody, any, any idea of what the connection could be. So I have two ideas. One is, so Frank Jang flew to Edmonton. Uh, Frank Jang's the I hit spokesperson. And for yeah. those that don't know, integrated homicide investigation team is a combination of the RCMP, um, uh, and several municipal police forces in British the, Columbia. in the Southern, uh, South coast or, or lower mainland of, of Vancouver or British Columbia area. And I just so, got to say, there's only going to be that kind of cooperation between the li- different law enforcement <laughs> agencies. If there's really a problem. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's why they created I hit because they just, they weren't. Yeah. Like we're all getting our butts kicked. We got to team yeah. up. Yeah. And, see and the other thing is, is as you mentioned, you're, you're surprised that this case hasn't been solved. And like, I am as well, but at the same time, I'm kind of not with just how insanely busy I hit is mm-hmm. yep. and the amount of um, gang, gang murders that are going on here and just unsolved cases. They're so busy. And I mean, I know that this case will be solved. I don't think it was a bunch of geniuses who carried it out. Mm. I think these were just run of the mill everyday people who made a mistake Mm -hmm. and made a bad decision and it will get solved, but yeah. in a series know, of bad decisions after of course, yes. that, ends, that ends Absolutely. in this. And, but and but when, get... when that happens, sorry to get us off. Yeah, the yeah, no, yeah. But when that happens, those are the cases where people screw up. And if there's multiple people involved, mm-hmm. the, the chances of that are that much higher. But then again, this has been four years now and yeah, they haven't spoke to the wrong person, but you, you go on. And well, actually, Kim has said that one of the investigators said, Kim, if this was our, I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing. He said, if this was our only case, it'd be solved by now. Like they have enough information, but you know, you know, this from doing uh, crime pods is that, you know, we have a high threshold uh, for the crown to prove homicide in Canada. And that is to avoid wrongful convictions. And I, and I agree with that on some level. But at the same time, you know, like if, if, the, if the police put forward like this is what we got and the crown looks at it and says, I, no, I can't go forward with this, then they won't go forward with charges. Mm-hmm. And it's very challenging. Mm-hmm. So 
to get back to the Ed, uh, or the uh, how did he know these people? So Frank Jang from IHIT flies to Edmonton. This is rare for an IHIT spokesperson mm-hmm. to go to another city. He flies there and he says, we know, we know, not we believe, we know that people involved with Tanner's murder are now in the Edmonton area. So with that piece of evidence, I think to myself, because the question is how did Tanner know these people? Did he know them from the Edmonton area? So we have two cars filled with young men driving around Surrey at 3.30 in the morning. They're all 20-ish. What are the odds they don't know? And I'm not saying everybody knows each other in a a town the size of Edmonton, but what are the odds they wouldn't have some sort of crossover? Mm -hmm. And then the other other thought that I have is that um, if I was new to a town and I had a roommate who knew people in that town, I would trust those people. Yeah, if the roommate knew these people. If the roommate knew those people and he's, you know, he's like, hey, yeah, these are good guys. Or, you know, and this is the third one is it was random, but I just don't think it was. Yeah, I mean, and like we, we've we had information from family members that Tanner was not the type of person to just get into a car with a bunch of strangers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's that's so unlikely to me. I mean, it could be, I mean, what do I know? But I mean, what are the odds that he just, a random group of guys pull up in a car and they're like, Hey man, you want to go out? Yeah. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Like, it doesn't. Yeah. You're right. It no. doesn't work. Like I, I'm thinking it of my own experiences work. and I can't remember a time where I would, uh, where I get in a car with a group of strange guys that like, I didn't even know. if you're drunk, yeah. you're still probably going to be like, nah. Yeah. I'm good. Thanks. Especially yeah, in a alone. different city. Like if I'm away exactly. on a work trip, let's say for even for two weeks, yeah, I would be so cautious that yeah, there's no way that that would happen. But you must what, have had some connection. Yeah, if two cars pulled up to, to you and you're at the Chevron parking lot, you realize the Chevron's closed and then you hear your name called, you look over, you see a familiar face out of one of the two cars. Hey, what are you doing? Uh, you know, we're we're hanging out tonight. Oh, I've got some beers left at the rental house. Let's stop and get those. Mm-hmm. Maybe is a, is an idea that it occurred, but that, but not, not, but not, Hey, random strange man, no. you want to come hang out with us and our two, our two gangster looking cars. I got some gloves you can try on. Yes. <laughs> no. Listeners of my show will get that. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. yeah it doesn't yeah. seem like it was something yeah. like that. So, and just so to be clear, cause I didn't realize this happened. Tanner went to the, to the gas station. Mm-hmm. It was closed. He arrived back at his house or his apartment or whatever you want to call it. And these people or at least some of the people in these cars were with him. When allegedly. Yeah, but they, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. And they did, they did not come into the house. Okay. But um, the roommate saw them. Okay. Allegedly. But didn't see them or remember them. Okay. So if that is true, it's, it changes kind of what my theory was. Cause what I imagined happened was Tanner went out and in my, like, I didn't know all these details. So I thought he mm-hmm. just went to the store, maybe got cigarettes. I was thinking mm-hmm. maybe he was just bored in a new city didn't know anyone he just went for a walk having a cigarette and someone you know pulled up on him right to rob him or you know if you're out smoking people yeah, will yeah. ask you for cigarettes all the yeah. time i remember i smoked 15 years ago and i, re- I was forever random cars or people yeah. asking me at night can i have a cigarette and me being intimidated be like here yeah, um, just take it please leave <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of what i thought but that it, it seems like there's a lot more to it. This is well, it a, sounds like he didn't even get the cigarettes. So he, mm-hmm. you know, that might have not been a reason that he got approached. But I mean, you're you're not going to know if you're going to a new town that the gas station closes at 1130. 
Yeah, you're going to assume it's a late night gas or a 24 hour. Yeah, what kind of gas station closes it? They're all. I thought they were all 24 hours. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, that's that's something. When I talked to Kim, there was something I. I didn't want to ask her because it was, Mm -hmm. I could tell it. She didn't want to go there in all of my reading online. I couldn't find like an official answer to this is what exactly was his, his cause of death. I've seen like assault altercation, but when I look at the crime scene, like where where he's covered in a tarp and they have all the Mm -hmm. evidence markers that Mm -hmm. doesn't seem like that would be the case with an assault. Usually you see that when a gun is involved and they're like putting where all the spent shell yeah. casings and stuff. Do you have, have you found out what the actual cause of death was? So, so actually some, an Edmonton media outlet reported it as a hit and run. Yeah. It, um, very you know, early but, on. Right? Yeah. But it was, um, so I believe that um, I hit has a lot of holdback evidence on this mm. case and cause of death is the number one thing they're holding back. Interesting. Um, Cause only the people who did it would know. Yeah. And, and perhaps like where it was reported as a hit and run that may have just been speculation because he was in an alleyway yeah, or yeah, maybe yeah. in the middle of this altercation and the assault the people use vehicles as weapons all the yeah. time. So yeah. we'd be speculating, but I guess if, if it's holdback evidence, then that is why I wasn't tracking it down. Cause I thought it was weird that the answer wasn't wasn't no, out there and where where the word assault was used like that just put this image in my head and maybe that's why i was going where i was seeing it as a like a, a mugging that yeah, became violent right. or physical. and they actually i don't think they've said assault either i think they just keep on saying altercation which is this uh yeah, word that can be, word. Yeah. i hit you know we know that the the authorities are very choosy with their words and yeah. i appreciate that they have to do that but it's you know it's altercation 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 yeah so throwing an incident here and there just for color yes um, yeah. but exactly. yeah it's it's kind of it can be painful as a news watcher when you're trying to understand a story and there it's intentionally vague in every aspect but in this case just like you've said i i bet you they have a really good idea of who did it and who is involved mm-hmm. and any information that becomes public is information that they can't kind of can't hold against the people involved so the less that gets out there publicly it, it just kind of makes it riskier for the people involved to say yeah. or do anything so yeah. well, and i think that that's why it's very interesting that they released the car videos one year after he was murdered. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that wasn't like, you know, if they had released the car video uh, on day two, they would have said something like, we believe these cars were involved. But for them to really, you know, what they'll do is if a case goes unsolved long enough, they start to to seep out some breadcrumbs, right? To get Mm -hmm. the public's interest again. So somebody, a, a, a committee of people decided to release the car videos a year later and say, without a doubt, these cars are involved. It wasn't a maybe. It was mm-hmm. kind of we believe. You know, it wasn't. I don't even think it was we believe. It's no, like they're these, like these cars were involved. Yeah. So, so that's a that's a very important piece of evidence. I think that they they were trying to hold back, um, and then they were like, okay, it's been a year. Let's get this out to get people talking about this case again. Yeah, is- maybe an act of des no, not desperation, but just a way to stoke the flames, as well as a yeah. way like it, they're law enforcement and the investigators. They're intelligent in how they handle the media. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why always you see news coverage of a case on the anniversary because it gives the press a reason to talk about it again, and the, so the law enforcement will lean on that with press releases. But releasing a video is a way to not only get mentions on the news, but actually get like some solid screen time. But the um, 
I'm sure you've watched the video several times. I was one of the cars. It looked to me as if it had some, I don't know if it was damage or like a weird design down the side. Yeah. Yeah, It almost looks like some sort of decal. And that's on the Toyota Corolla, which is a white, I I believe. It's on the Civic, isn't it? No, it's the, isn't it the first the car that goes Civic, through? I thought the Civic went through first. Oh, well, oh no, the Civic, Civic goes through second. Second, yes. Yeah, so it's the, it's it's the Civic. Oh, it's the Civic? Okay, yeah. so the it's the Civic. Car, I'm, I'm okay, it, yeah. so it's the Civic. So they're both white cars. So there's a white Toyota Corolla, which I believe is a 2014 to 2017 model, because I actually have a 27, uh, 2014 Toyota Corolla, and it's the same body. Aren't they great cars? Um, yeah, yeah, very <laughs> great car. <laughs> um, uh, and then the Civic is also a newer model, also white. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the what the years, but I assume kind of the same. Um, and yeah, it looks like there is some sort of strange, weird lower design on the driver's side of the vehicle on the on the doors. Yeah. So I mean, that has to be a car that somebody recognizes. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, when I watched that video, that was my first thought. I was like, if that was my friend's car or a car on the street or something near mm-hmm. my house, it definitely would stand out. Um, have the have the authorities ever said why they suspected the people involved were back in Edmonton or was that just something they just randomly said that made everyone go like, Oh, um, well, uh, so they, I believe that they know who did this 100%. Or at least one of the people were involved more than one. So, cause he said, cause actually Frank Jang said individuals involved have moved back to the Edmonton area or moved to the Edmonton area. So the more than one of them had gone back. Um, And so that I I think, you know, that's why, that's why he said that. Um, I do know that a person who has inserted themselves into this case that we talked about in our episode, uh, who we referred to as Badger, we know um, that he was back in the Edmonton area in or around that time. I can't 100% prove it. I don't have the receipts on that, but I do. I do. We do have a very good idea of where he has been um, in the last two months, um, and it could it could be presented as the Edmonton area. Wow. I think yeah. whoever did this is is sweating it though. Cause it's like a hundred percent. If you, if, if let's say if they were alone with Tanner, they would have a reason. And, and when this happened, they could, they could be like, I just got to keep my mouth shut. But if there's other people involved that saw it. Yeah. And I think that's when I saw your posts on social media, that's kind of who you were shouting to with oh, yeah. some of your posts. Like if you saw this, if you know what happened. And I think put- there's at least five plus people who are either have been in contact with this person who know what happened, who have um, communicated via, uh, you know, whether it be electronic communication with this person, there are people that know, and these people need to come forward because the heat is not going to go away. And I hit has everything, everything that I've seen. Yeah. And we've seen a lot it, of conversations. Everything I, people. Yeah. Everything that I've seen, our, I hit already has it. And, and I know that it like, it feels a little call yowdy, uh, what we did the other day um, with that post and with that part of the episode, but it's also like, just, I mean, we're just being honest. Like I have no, I have no card to play on this person. I don't know this person. I just know that if they are truly trying to live a different way of life right now, um, they there's still some amends that they need to make for the pain that they caused the group of family, and and that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And and if they were just being 
um, just being a loud talker and they had nothing to do with it, then they should probably talk to IHIT or the Krupa family and let them know, hey, I know I've inserted myself as a suspect here and I need you to know I was in addiction um, and I was just talking nonsense and I'm so sorry that I inserted myself into your family's pain or I was there that night and I, I'm going to go to jail now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the, the reward, I believe, is it 30000 It's that? I can't remember. It, it's I there's 10, there's, but yeah. There's a significant there's a reward. reward. Yeah, there's a yeah. reward enough to get some person who is there that's no longer connected with the fella who actually did it. There's enough money on the table for it to be worth that person's time of, you know, coming exactly. forward. Exactly. And I mean, there shouldn't even have to be a reward. Mm. I mean, the reward is peace of mind. Um, but, you know, if the money is exciting to someone, yeah, then please come forward with any information that you have. It can be the smallest piece of information, just anything. Yeah. I just think with, with a, a reward, like a, the right thing to do is to come forward, of, of course. Uh-huh. But, but I think with a reward, say there's four or five people who know what happened. Um, as time passes, maybe the friendships change and one person comes forward. But if that doesn't happen, maybe mm-hmm. one of those four or five people is broke. And it's yep. just the motivation for like, you know, I'm not going to look out for that yeah. Jimmy anymore. I'm, I got to look after my kid or whatever. And yeah. like, cause that could be enough to, to move it. But as many cases, unsolved cases that I, that I research or cover on the show, I can't think of one where a reward actually like solved a case. It seems like that's not a big motivation yeah, certainly not in Canadian cases that I can think of. Yeah. And they also might not release that information, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, oh, this person came forward and took the $50,000. I don't think that I've ever seen that reported even. No. Yeah. Well, but yeah. if it was, like, if it does happen, it should be reported to kind of normalize it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah, almost I like, you know, because uh, if it, and I know that would work because if you think when somebody wins a lottery or something, the <laughs> like the lottery company will like require them to get photos, get the money and stuff because it gets yeah. other people pumped. They're like, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. But if they had yeah. some, you know, masked figure collecting a $50,000 in cash on the evening news for, yeah. you know, telling on the guy for doing the right thing, yeah, and celebrating them, that would just yeah. maybe that would just help you know, normalize it. Cause it's, yeah. but I, but I get that in, you know, the world of crime, there's the taboo yeah. associated with um, being a rat. Yeah. 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 That whole thing. But yeah. Uh, but I have a feeling it's only a matter of time before we're doing a follow-up episode with this solved. I feel like, I feel like something's going to happen. And I, and I can almost tell who in talking to you both is like the, the wheels are turning behind the scenes. hundred percent. I think that, you know, the documentary that came out really turned up the heat. I think the media hits that have come out with, you know, global doing a story again. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously you and, and us doing an episode, I think the heat has definitely turned up on these, on these folks and Mm -hmm. um, someone's going to crack eventually. What did you think of the documentary? I call it a documentary. I guess more, yeah. it's more of a, I guess, a short film. I yeah. absolutely loved it because uh, I, I know what they were, what they wanted to do and what they wanted to do was so very important, which was to humanize the experience of friends and family of, of murdered people. Like it, and specifically this one family in this one community, you know, and I don't know. It was just, it was just so powerful. I just, I really appreciate it. It was heartbreaking. And they didn't get into, you know, the details really. Mm. They just got into like the, what is the life of this person, the life of this person and and the impact on the family. Mm -hmm. And I just, 
it's so funny because we talk about these, the, 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 for lack of a better term, the bad guys or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And how we need to incentivize pe- people to tell the truth or this or come forward. And it's like, how can you watch that video and still be okay mm-hmm. if you it, did this? You would need to be an yeah. inhuman or a complete yeah. sociopath, psychopath to not be moved by that. And what you said, like what uh, with you knew what they were going for. That was the feeling I had as well, where it was really like the, the short film, say 15 minutes long. It, it tells the story of how great of a guy Tanner was and how great his family is. It has just a little blurb on, you know, the, the circumstances surrounding his death. It gives you enough information to understand what led to his death, but then it gets into a, a big section on all of the people that come across as just genuine, nice people. It goes mm-hmm. through their grief with them just sitting in front of the camera explaining you know what it's like to lose him and there was one of his friends in particular one of tanner's friends who could hardly look at the camera he could hardly talk i was watching that and i was just crushed that scene is that the one that we included in our yeah riley and and there's the moment where i believe it was Riley, and then and in the in the in an outtake that they kept in the documentary kim comes in and and holds him it's so awful because you know like she she knows you know she knows the they were ki- they were childhood friends yeah that was so it, sad and, that was tough and the documentary maker kept it in on per like yeah. because it was so impactful mm. just so impactful yeah i think i think the true crime community as a whole needs to see more of the stories that you know we love to listen to true crime stories and i and i hope that we can love listening to them in this way as like you know getting to know the victims families friends and being empathetic that way, instead of, you know, kind of wanting to know the ins and outs of the mm-hmm. murderer. Yeah. It's like, I don't care about the murderer. I want to know more about this person that had their life taken away from them. And, you know, the family who, you know, their life is never going to be the same anymore. And, you know, that's why we started this podcast, which is why, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you and I connected to this documentary so much as it's similar to what we set out to do with this podcast mm. is, you know, we want to tell these, these families stories and, mm. you know, humanize the person who was lost instead of trying to figure out what went wrong with the person who committed the crime. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. tons of podcasts who yeah. do that and you know, no shade towards them. I understand what you're doing. I understand why people love that stuff. I love it too, but we wanted to come into the podcast space and do something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that like, I, I know that you interviewed, um, uh, Taylor Sampson's brother mm-hmm. Connor, recently. Yeah. yeah. Connor. Yeah. And like, and I, wa- I watched the video last week cause I'm researching that case right now. Oh, great. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And, yeah. I know there's always going to be overlap, <laughs> sorry. With, but it's uh, eclipse. But, well, that case is, yeah. that's big. Cause that's going back to trial it's, soon. That's, that's why, why that's why that. I want to hop in on it because mm-hmm. I just wanted to, because again, I believe that a family has been wronged more than once. Hell yes. I believe that I believe that you know I know I know why the the private investigator was an issue. Mm-hmm. I understand that intuitively as a human being, but the, where's their son? Mm-hmm. And go to jail. That's all I have. Like you know, and so so. Any, uh, but I, in researching it, I saw that you had interviewed Connor, and and I watched I watched Connor walk up on stage to take his brother's degree mm-hmm. at Dalhousie and stuff, and I just. This is what people need to know is like, is, you know, you're a Canadian podcaster, we're a Canadian podcaster, we cover true crime. I want people to understand Canadians, 
and Canadian mm-hmm. stories. And I believe that the Krupa family and the Samson family and all, you know, the Iwasa family, all the families that we've worked with over the last, you know, year and that you've worked with are, are, they are our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I get that. And I'll, I'll tell you, Connor, Ev, anybody who meets Connor Samson will become an advocate for his family. He is yeah. genuinely like, I can, I can confidently say he's one of the, my favorite people I've ever met. And every time I see him, I, um, cause he works really near my house. I see him, mm-hmm. you know, twice a week, every time I see him, he shouts across the store to oh. me or my son, he'll come up and hug me and yeah. w- whatever we're doing, we'll stop and chat for a few minutes. And he's just the most lovely guy. And, yeah. but when he talks about his brother, you see yeah, immense pride. But then you also see pure heartbreak um, yeah. and it's, it's so sad. And then when they announced that um, the person who was originally convicted of his brother's murder was getting a retrial, um, my first thought was just like poor Connor and his mother, like to get dragged through all this again yeah. and to have it the uncertainty. So often too. Yeah. And then there's also the uncertainty. Like what if the guy gets off? Yeah. And what if without the evidence that that justified the retrial, like without that piece of evidence, how strong is the case? And they just have to get yeah. right back into it all. It's just it's yeah. it can be so cruel. Um, well, and that's we talked to Kim last night. She called to, to talk to us about the episode that we put out. And, you know, it what has dawned on me after the last year of doing these cases is that there and even if you if you're familiar with uh familiar with Heather Stuka and, yeah. and, you know, Marshall Awasa and all the, these other families there, there's a moment that comes when the police stop calling mm. yeah. and, and they're alone. Mm-hmm. And I just like, and I'm not like, if, I'm not some savior, we're not some saviors or anything, but it's, if I can just for at least a week or two weeks or whatever, just let them know that they're not alone and that people see them. And, and, and people then still want to, yeah. you know, talk to them and hear mm-hmm. their loved one's story and put it out there and ensure that it's getting, you know, the listens and the, the eyes on it that it deserves. Then yeah. yeah. Like that's, I think for us at least, and I'm sure for yourself as well, downloads are one thing for a podcast. Sure. Yeah. We all love to see that our podcast is doing well, but interviews with, with, with family members of these people is probably the most rewarding at the same time, difficult and heartbreaking and awful. I mean, it's so, it's so um, emotional to talk to loved ones of these people, but it's so rewarding too, to just, have that human connection and be allowed to tell their, their loved one's story and to be given that, you know, opportunity and responsibility to do so is it's yeah, it's my, it's my favorite part of doing this. Yeah. And I I often tell people too, is like, cause not everyone's into podcasts and when let's say when, uh, when Tanner's story is covered by global uh, in, in that city, maybe global reaches, 500,000 people, let's just say as just to throw a number out there, our shows would be only a fraction of that, a very small fraction, but the people who listen to our show, it's a different news watcher consumer than who sees like a two minute hit on global. They're listening They're They got us in their headphones or in their car. It's or getting groceries. They're listening to like 55 minutes of like curated you know, information about this story. So immersion into the story. Yeah. And, and I think that's why people come to podcasts for this kind of content, because it really gives, we, we give the chronological telling of the story in a way that's both entertaining and gives you all the details and generally get into like, you know, what's coming next, what happened before it generates kind of 
it get, it makes people want to advocate. So I think, um, 100%. although the, the, if the mainstream and the police aren't all over Tanner all the time, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping between our shows, we've gotten, you know, 50 people who are online yeah. writing about Tanner and trying yeah. to figure yeah. it out. Well, and that's, the, that's the thing is, and going back to what I said earlier is at any given time, there are a couple people who are pulling the line for Tanner, mm-hmm. you know, Kim can't do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and Mike can't do it all the time. The family can't do it all the time. So every now and then, if one of us hops in there and pulls the line for a bit or, or gives even, them a break and yeah. yeah, if a listener hops in and decides to start a, a, a GoFundMe to, to raise that reward, mm-hmm. you know, if people feel inspired and I say this to anybody listening to this, if you feel inspired to help this family and they're, you or know, any family that like yeah. you feel connected to their story at all, then, mm-hmm. then do it. I think that that's something that we've all like learned over the last number of years, you know, is that we, we can help, you know, not to be too altruistic, but we can help and make things a little bit better, you mm-hmm. know, and make things a little bit less comfortable for people, you know, who like, are hiding. like the people who took Tanner's life. Yeah. You know? But no, I agree. And it's the other thing too, is you never know who's listening. So there could be, we just need to reach someone's ear who has that little piece of detail <laughs> and it happened and it does happen. I'll tell you yeah. in, in my show very recently, um, somebody who listens came forward with like really big information related to a story. And, and it just, it, it surprises me sometimes how just doing something like this on a laptop in the spare bedroom can yeah. connect yeah. you with people who are, you never know. Yeah. yeah. Frank Jang uh, tweeted at us that he'd, uh, he'd love to come on our show. He was the IHIT spokesperson. And then, yeah. and He's then we also, right? Yeah, he's moving to another position in the okay. RCMP. Administrative so he's just not going to be the media guy anymore. Yeah. Okay. It's a hard job. Yeah. <laughs> but then oh, we, we yeah. I got in contact with a, a small town RCMP uh, media person. And I said, hey, you know, uh, this is true north, true crime. And he said, oh, I listened to your episode on, uh, on Jordan Holling, who went missing in my mm-hmm. town. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird. I was like, you, li- the, the RCMP listened to this? And he's like, oh, yeah, it was great. And so, you know, you never know who's listening. Yeah. All right. Well, I think mm-hmm. we're, we should do this again when you do an episode about Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd love to talk to you about that off, off, off camera. We'll do it. Off, how about off <laughs> and on? Uh, yeah, yeah, both, yeah. 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 <laughs> let's do that. But I appreciate you coming on and talking about this. You blew my mind because it's obviously a lot has happened in, yes. you know, the week or two since we've been doing this. So mm-hmm. congrats yeah. on, uh, on your episode. Congrats on one year of true North, true crime. Thank, Thank you. you. People who want to find your show and find you on social media, where they, where do they, where do they go? Uh, so Instagram at TNTC pod, same on Twitter at TNTC pod, or just search true North, true crime on Facebook. And we're available on every podcasting platform. <laughs> Thank you for not listing all of them. No, God help you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks you both. And yeah. we'll do it again soon. I want to thank you for joining True North True Crime and I for our discussion surrounding the unsolved murder of Tanner Krupa. If you have any information regarding the death of Tanner Krupa, please do the right thing and pass it along. The Surrey Police or Crime Stoppers would love to hear from you. Or if you're too intimidated to contact official channels, you can contact me directly and I'll pass the information along on your behalf. And with that, we'll end this episode of Nighttime. But before we part, I'm going to give some thanks. 
First, a huge thank you to True North True Crime for spending an evening with me and sharing some new details as well as their insight on the case. As well, a big shout out to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping it alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to put some cream in the show's coffee, please subscribe to the premium feed. If you want to help keep the show alive, visit patreon.com slash nighttime podcast and subscribe to the premium feed. Having mentioned that, let me thank the newest supporters of the show, Colin, Sean, Kim, and Ricky. Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a big hand by simply telling your friends about what we're doing here and sharing the episodes across social media. If anyone listening has any story ideas or wants to give feedback on the show, find me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact or on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm often live on the Nighttime Podcast YouTube channel. So that's it. Until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and please, if you know anything about Tanner Krupa's death, pass that information along. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.